live from my man cave in Chesapeake, Virginia, this is MLS Gone Wild. I'm your host, Blake, here to bring you the latest news, rumors, opinions, analytics, interviews, and all things MLS and American soccer. Let's get it going. Hello and welcome to MLS Gone Wild, Season 4, Episode 13. This is your host, Blake. On this week's episode of MLS Gone Wild, I am joined by MLS Week 9 Team of the Week selection, goal score in back-to-back matches, 2021 MLS Cup champion, and one of the best central midfielders in all of MLS, by way of Plano, Texas, New York City FC's big man in the middle, Keaton Parks. Keaton, welcome to MLS Gone Wild. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Of course, man. So before we take a deep dive into your professional soccer career so far, let's get this episode started by getting to know you off the pitch. All right. I'll start by congratulating you because exactly one month after this episode is released, you'll be walking down the aisle to get married. So yes, question, thank you. <laughs> so my question for you is, are you ready? How did you and your fiance meet? And what's your ideal honeymoon vacation spot? Yeah, absolutely. I'm ready. Um, we've been planning this for a while now. And um, we actually met a long time ago. I was in sixth grade. I think she was in fifth grade. It was when we actually met. <clears throat> and then we kind of didn't interact with each other. I didn't know each other until high school again. And we reconnected like through Twitter. She like recognized my name on Twitter because we had previously met. And then she reached out to me. Um, and then we became friends through that and then eventually started dating. Um, I think it's almost four years now. So um, and then our, my ideal honeymoon, we are actually going to Antigua or Antigua. I don't know how to say it in December. Um, so we're going to go spend, I think, seven days there um, and really looking forward to that. That's going to be sick. Waiting until you guys win your second MLS Cup. Exactly. To celebrate. <laughs> are any of the guys on the team part of your wedding party? Uh, not part of my wedding party. We're actually doing a very uh, small ceremony, just family, and then uh, having a reception afterward with with a bigger group. So uh, some teammates will be at that. Very cool. Well, congratulations, man. So in addition to you tying the knot, it's rumored that you may also be getting a second dog. Can you confirm <laughs> what kind of dog are you looking to get? And do you have any names in mind? Uh, I can confirm that that's a rumor. Uh, may or may not happen. Um, I think we're looking into labs if we do. Um, and maybe maybe name it Luca after Luka Doncic. So Mm, so I saved this one for later on. They're still in the playoffs, right? You think they're going to win it yeah. all? Uh, of course, they're going to win it all every year. You know, that's how you got to be a, be a loyal fan. Luke is good, man. Yeah, he's different. So yeah, he have my team. <laughs> and, and it's funny. I didn't plan on talking about basketball. I haven't watched much this year, but I followed him closely last year. He's just he's so smooth. It's like he's moving in slow motion, yet he does all the small things right. And he can be flashy. And he kind of reminds yeah. me of you, but on a basketball court. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, he, he does look like in slow motion. Like, you see highlights, and it looks like he doesn't create enough space for himself, but he's always, like, he always has the space for threes and stuff. Um, and, yeah, I, I feel like I relate to that. <laughs> yeah, he's a baller, and so are you. So is basketball your favorite sport other than soccer? Yeah, I, I enjoy, like, basketball, football. Um, I enjoy watching hockey sometimes, especially going to a hockey game is great. Uh, but basketball is my, my second favorite because I'm, like, also decent at it. So, And how tall are you? A six three, six four. Do you know where I'm going with this, Keaton? Yeah, I can't dunk. I know my fiance makes fun of me almost daily for that. That's okay, man. <laughs> so Dallas sports or New York sports? I have a feeling I know the answer. Dallas sports all the way. All right, cool. Uh, so when you're, soccer, of course, obviously. of course. <laughs> so if you had, a, if you had a chance to go to SC Dallas, you wouldn't take it. 
You don't have to answer uh, that. You don't have to answer yeah. that. <laughs> All right. So when you're not playing, training, or hanging out with your fiance or dog, what else do you like to do in your free time? Uh, we watch a lot of TV, um, a lot of binge watching shows. Um, we go on a lot of walks. Uh, that's mostly for the dog, but we also enjoy the walk. Um, we go shopping a lot. We go to parks. Not to, not to, uh, what am I trying to say? I'm pretty simple overall, I would say. Nice. Yeah. You like to go out to eat? Yeah, actually. Um, so we actually do a lot of HelloFresh. So like me and my fiance both switch off cooking and stuff. Um, but yeah, I love to go out to eat. Have yet to find a good Tex-Mex place up here. So still looking for that. Hey, tomorrow's Cinco de Mayo. It's a perfect day to find it. That's true. I wasn't, I wasn't going Tex-Mex with this. I was actually going pizza. You know, New York is a pizza Uh, state. Have you found your favorite place to get a slice? uh, No. So I have been to a few in the city. Um, I can't recall their names. There, there is a restaurant called Little Frankie's, which is more, it's not like a dollar slice place, but it is, it's like a nice Italian restaurant and it has really good pizza. So I'll go with Little Frankie's. All right. Shout out Little Frankie's. Yeah, for sure. All right. Best mini golf player on the team no doubt me not like not even a question true okay bet <laughs> favorite song and who controls the ox in the locker room uh it's a good question um well in the locker room it's usually uh alex Kyans. he is a big music guy um he always like carries around a speaker in the facility wherever he is he has a speaker on him um let's see favorite song i don't know i I don't really have like a favorite song. I'm really, I really like Jack Harlow right now. Um, but I did grow up with Eminem and stuff. So like lose yourself, obviously an anthem for me. Great song. Absolutely, man. If I want to run fast, I listen to that one. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right. So why Keaton on the back of your kit and not parks? Um, when I started in Portugal, uh, at Varzim, the first day I showed up to, uh, like my first, first team game, um, I just, the jersey was in my locker with Keaton on it. They never asked me or anything. Um, That's just how it was. And I think even on the roster for that game, I was just listed as Keaton, no last name. So I'm not sure if they knew I had a last name and they just threw Keaton on it. Um, But I've stuck with it ever since. I thought it looked pretty cool. And I was like, dang, that is, that's pretty fresh. Because Parks is like, can be mistaken for like an Asian name too. There's a lot of like Park, you know, so keep it original. Oh, I like that. (laughs) If you were to write your own autobiography, what would you title it? Uh, somehow I manage. And that's for all the Office fans listening to this podcast. Explain it for those that don't watch The Office. <laughs> uh, Michael Scott says he's going to release his own autobiography called Somehow I Manage. And on the front, it's going to be a picture of him sh- shrugging his shoulders. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. I respect it. <laughs> So now we got to know you off the pitch. Let's get into your soccer journey, starting at the very beginning. Keaton, why soccer? What made you fall in love with the beautiful game? Yeah, it was my family, really. Um, both my parents grew up playing soccer. Um, nobody ever went pro, but both my older brothers played soccer. Um, and everybody in my family, we were just a very soccer-minded family. We we're big fans of, of uh, just soccer in general. Barcelona growing up, we actually got FC Dallas season tickets for a good chunk of my childhood. Um, so it was just, oh, it was always soccer with my family. We, we all tried other sports, but it was always soccer. You bring up FC Dallas and before we get to your, your move to Portugal, but we'll get there. 
but I, I was looking for some information on your club career and I, I couldn't find a whole lot previous to you moving to Portugal, but where you're from in, in Plano, Texas is only 25 minutes from FC Dallas. Right. Did you ever have a chance to go play for the Academy? I mean, you had season tickets, but was that ever an option for you? Um, I think it was um, early on in like my, my youth career, let's call it that. Um, I found, I started playing with this coach named Armando Palias and so we like jumped around from different clubs, but it was always the same coach, same team. We just like got bought by bigger clubs or joined bigger clubs. Um, and so he, he had the connections in Portugal and everything. Um, and he always believed in me and pushed me and like, and asked me if I wanted to be pro and if I wanted to, like he'd get me there. So I always just stuck with him. Um, I never looked to change teams or looked to move to, uh, to move to FC Dallas or anything like that. So um, I, I think I, like I would I would think that I would have been able to play there but um yeah I never really like looked for it or anything so you you touch on your coach helping you take that step to Portugal but you know you were just an 18 year old kid that made that decision to go 4,660 miles away from Plano Texas to Portugal like how did that opportunity to move and play in Portugal at the age of 18 come to be in addition to, you know, just the coach and what factors did you take into consideration when making the decision? Yeah, it was, it was a difficult uh, decision for sure. Um, I did have a scholarship to SMU or Southern Methodist right there in Dallas. So um, that would obviously been a great opportunity for me. And um, it, I actually did like visit and like watch their games growing up as well. So like, it was something that like, I, I wanted to do since I was young, but I obviously wanted to play professional soccer too. Um, but yeah, my, my coach, he, he's the one that had the connections. Um, he brought me over there in the summers uh, during high school and we trained with a bunch of teams, a bunch of under 19 clubs, um, including like Braga and sporting and Benfica and all, all of them before. So um, I got my name out there. We met an agent there and he got me the connection with Varzim where I went and eventually signed. Was it tough to make that decision though? Like, obviously you chose the pro path over college, but like what other factors went into it? You know, what was your family saying? How did those conversations go? Yeah, it was, it was very tough. My, my family was always very supportive. Um, both my parents, um, I mean, we're, my family's like very like education focused, um, but not so much as to say like, oh no, you need to go to college. Like, like you might, like, this isn't going to turn into anything or anything like that. Like, they were always very supportive, whatever I, whatever I chose. Um, I think they were both pushing me to go uh, to Europe and, and pursue this because you can always go back to college. Um, so a lot of it, I mean, of course, moving to Portugal is not easy either. Like I don't speak Portuguese. Um, I was going to be so far from my family and friends. Um, so all of that played a part in, in it. Um, so yeah, it was not easy at all. And, uh, it ended up being the right decision, obviously. You touched on it a little bit, and I was going to ask, was it a difficult transition for you? So I'll let you answer that. And what were some of the biggest obstacles rather than just that language barrier you faced upon moving to Portugal? Yeah, it was um, it was tough. Um, the town I moved to was like a summer town, um, very small, but in the summer it was like pretty nice. Um, but obviously like nine months out of the year, it was pretty, it could get cold, it could get rainy. Um, not a lot of people live there like full time. So um, it was tough. Um, I dealt with an injury pretty early on um, that I was out for like three months, I think. So like all these like little things. And then obviously I was away from my family, away from my friends. Everybody had started college and was like 
living the college life. And I had to like see all of that on social media type thing. Um, so it wasn't always easy. Um, but the soccer always helped. It's like, so the injury was the worst part because I couldn't play soccer either. And that, that was like really holding me back. And um, like, I just felt like lonely and like bored and stuff. So um, the, the soccer always helped as long as I was able to do that. It, it made it, it made it a lot easier. Nice. Was there anybody over there when you initially moved to Portugal that eased you into that transition? Yeah. So, so my coach, I was saying Armando Palais, he actually has a son named Armando as well. Um, he came with me. He speaks Spanish fluently and knew quite a bit of Portuguese when we first went there. Um, so we actually played together and he like helped me get around. And like, obviously we spent 24 seven together just cause like we were, we were each other's only friends there basically. So um, that, that did help too friend interpreter all of that exactly <laughs> how were you initially accepted when you got there by the team by the other players uh, it's hard to say like when I first went at Varzim and everything it, it, it felt normal um like obviously it was just like another player was signing with the team um they they weren't extreme like off the field they weren't extremely like they didn't invite me out and stuff like that like but I think that was mostly language barrier for the most part um let, let's hope let's say that um, but I do like have a story from Benfica. Like when I first pulled up to Benfica, I was like training with the B team. And, um, I, I learned later that this one guy that I ended up becoming friends with, like thought I was just going to be terrible. Cause I was just an American guy. Like, Oh, like he'll be leaving here soon. Like, blah, blah, blah. And so I did end up learning that later on. Cause like I became friends with everybody and they they told me that, but it was pretty funny. Like I didn't, I didn't realize that that's the way he felt about me, you know? Did you ever learn the language when you were over there? Yeah, I, I did. I, I know uh, quite a bit of Portuguese now. Um, I'm not fluent by any means, but I do um, like joke around with like the Brazilian guys on my team now. Um, so it, it did take me about four years, though, like the whole time I was there to, to get to the level I'm at, which is still not fluent. So you touched on your story with Benfica B. So from your perspective, walk us through your journey in Portugal from the time with Varzim to your time with Benfica and everything in between uh, walk us through those peaks and valleys of those four years. Yeah, it was a, it was a fun start. Let's say, like, it was fun to be there in Europe, you know, like I started with the under 19s at Varzim. Um, and then I think, and then I got an injury like middle of that season. Um, and that was like a terrible three months. Like I think I like considered leaving and just going back home and doing the college thing and everything. Um, but then I got back um, the next year. I was with the the first team at Varzim. Um, had a good spell of games before um, I got into contract issues with the club. And eventually uh, I rescinded my contract. And I was actually without a team for six months while I was going through like this court process to to break my contract and, um, and be able to sign with Benfica. Because they wanted me to sign with um, Portimonense, which is another first division club. Um, but so, yeah, it was like a six month process. I was training with some teams, um, and that during that time to stay fit and everything. Um, but it was just waiting and waiting. I ended up going to court. Actually, I had to testify for myself in Portuguese. It was, it was pretty wild. Like it was a tough six, six months. Um, but like knowing that I was like going to be able to sign with Benfica at the end of that made it worth it, you know, made it easier to fight. Um, so then that ended, I got to sign with Benfica. Uh, I was mostly with the B team to start the season, um, which was awesome. Uh, it was like, it was the same competition as the, as Varzim was in the second division in Portugal. Um, so like I knew the league well, I knew the team as well. Um, 
but it was cool to play like with these <clears throat> these uh like super experienced guys like some guys from the a team would like join us and play in those games so that was cool um and then i got some like trainings and some time with the first team um which was amazing i got to play with like some big names like julio cesar and uh louis Zhao and pt like all these guys um so like just training with them was sick but then i got to join them on the field and play a few games with the first team um so yeah that, i mean and that whole experience with mifico was just like the coolest thing ever like growing up as an american like soccer player like there's nothing like like a benfica or like a european academy like it's like a literally a college campus for soccer so like it was like the coolest thing like i've ever been a part of um and i actually lived like just outside the campus so like i basically spent all my time there um and it was it was just awesome like great experience obviously and it, it really like helped me grow as a player could you believe that, you know, just a couple of years after moving from Plano, Texas to Portugal, that you're playing for the, you know, ex-Portuguese champion, you know, a team that we can watch here in America? Yeah, that, I mean, like, it was hard to, like, it was hard to believe. Like, I never, like, doubted myself, but it was crazy, like, the jump that I made in just a short time. Like, like, Varzim, I, it was just, like, a very small club, you know, like, I had never heard of them before I went there. Um so it, it didn't seem like it was a feasible like jump like from play notes to Varzim and then Varzim to Benfica was just like a uh, like a very awesome thing for me you know very fortunate for that. So in what ways did your decision to pursue your pro dreams in Portugal help you develop as a person first and also a player on the pitch? Yeah I mean leaving to Portugal was was like a, like a huge shock you know um I definitely had to like learn how to take care of myself, like do my own laundry, cook for myself, uh, budget my money, all that. So, um, I mean, like, obviously it was just like life, life lessons like that. I had to teach myself and learn quickly. Um, cause I was just thrown into it type thing. Um, but I feel like I got, I got used to that. I got a, a, a handle of that pretty quickly. Um, and then like, obviously soccer, the guys I got to play with had been playing professional soccer at the highest level for years and years, you know? So just like being able to watch these guys and like see how they behave on the field and off the field and how they eat, how they recover everything that they did. It was like, it was just like nonstop learning for me, you know, it was something I had never seen before. Um, and something that I'm very fortunate to have been able to be a part of. Cause like, it really, really helps me like, grow as a player here now um and like prepare myself for like a long career ahead of me you know so your path to pro is is different than any other player I've ever talked to and I've talked to plenty of guys that have come through academies played in MLS first teams and then gone to Europe and you left at 18 played at a smaller club went to Benfica and now you're here you touched on it a little bit do you think that you're almost more prepared seeing as you're path to pro is a little more unconventional versus the guys that go through the academy and experience those kinds of paths to pro um i would say so um i mean it's hard to say it's it's hard to say because i didn't go through that path so i don't quite know like what that life is like either um but i have experienced stuff like playing in europe and playing in front of sixty thousand fans and and big games like that and i think just like little moments like that, little experiences um, do give me a slight advantage. Um, and seeing like close up the players that I got to play with um, 
who have won the Champions League, have played Champions League, have won the Portuguese League, you know, um, that's, I mean, like, that's just a huge advantage, I think. Like, it's it's harder, or you can, like, watch videos and, and listen to them talk online, but you, you don't actually learn everything unless you, you're there and you're living with them and you're, and you're playing with them every day. You talk about playing in front of 60,000 folks. Unfortunately, you're not doing that at Yankee Stadium. Talk to me about <laughs> the, the difference in the soccer culture in Portugal as opposed to here. And just like um, the game day atmosphere in general. Yeah, it, it's pretty wild up there. Um, I mean, along with playing in a lot of games, um, I obviously went to every game that I wasn't a, a part of. Um, I got to go to a lot of Champions League games. And just like a day in the life of a soccer fan there, I'm sure is ridiculous. Like they, they live and breathe soccer there. Um, and I always say it's funny, like, like you can like walk down the street and any person like in town can like criticize you and like yell at you or whatever, but they know exactly what they're talking about because they all know football, you know, like they all know, like they're all coaches basically, but they really know what they're talking about. So it is, it's like funny, like getting yelled at. And then you think about it, you're like, oh, that person's right though. Like, so it's, it is just like, it's a different in the sense, it's different in the sense that that's all they have there. Like sports wise, you know, here there's a bunch of sports and like, so half the country like hardly knows what soccer is so um in that sense it's very different we're getting there we're getting there but <laughs> you, you, your success with benfica b and liga pro earned you a loan to new york city fc that turned into a permanent deal in 2020 were you looking for a change of scenery to advance your career and what attracted you to come back to the states and play in mls yeah it was definitely for for advancing my career um i had been in the in benfica b um, I had six appearances, I think, with the first team. But I had played in that second division in Portugal for for two and a half years at that point. Um, and it was just, like, I just needed a change. I need, I wanted to advance. I wanted to play first division soccer. <laughs> um, and New York City was just a great opportunity. You know, it was, I had been gone from the U.S. for four and a half years at that point, too. Um, so it was just nice to have, like, it was a great opportunity to also return home but also play top level football so um it, it was a pretty easy choice once I once I sat down and thought about it and talked with my family and everything and um it was the right choice for sure good let's take a look at your 2019 loan season where you total 1,377 minutes across 23 appearances recording a goal and an assist were you expecting to come into this new team and make such an impact right away and did you feel any sort of pressure to perform in your loan season to earn that permanent deal um, I was hoping to make a big, uh, a big impact for sure. Um, at the beginning, it was actually tough because I wasn't getting a lot of minutes. Um, I had quite, I had some subs, um, or like late subs um, that I that I got to get some experience through. Um, but it wasn't until like the middle of the season we had an open cup game where I got my first start and and really get to show myself. Um, but I, I was definitely hoping to make a big impact. Um, I, I was, I'm always very, I've always been very confident in my abilities and everything. Um, and I knew that I could compete in this league for sure. Um, so I was happy to to get that open cup opportunity and to show myself and prove myself and um, happy to see that my coaches like saw that and, and gained confidence in me and um, let me let me perform the way I did that first year for sure. But did you feel pressure to perform well in that first season so you could get that permanent deal? Um, 
not so much pressure. I, I put a lot of pressure on myself to be fair. Um, and like, but I think that was the only pressure that I really felt. Um, worst case scenario, let's call it worst case scenario. Um, I go back to Benfica, you know, it was not, I was not in a bad situation. As the season went on, I was enjoying myself a lot here in, in the U S and, and playing first division uh, football. And um, I actually, I did talk to like the, the higher ups, the coaches and, and staff at Benfica. Um, and they weren't, they didn't necessarily have me in their plans going forward um, with the first team. Um, so at that point, like I was looking for the stay. Um, but again, worst case scenario, I ended up back at Benfica. So um, I, I don't, I didn't feel pressure um, besides the pressure I put on myself. Good perspective. There could be worse situations <laughs> and you should always be your biggest, biggest critic. So that, that's right, good right. on you. You, you, you were coming from playing top tier Portuguese football over at Benfica. You came to New York city FC. What was the biggest adjustment to MLS? It, it's know, okay. But... If there wasn't, and you came from a, a, a better division, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, probably the speed, um, the speed of play. Like I did play obviously with the first team a little bit. Um, and I trained with them quite a bit, but, um, like the majority of my time was spent in the sec- spent in the second division. Um, and the level there what is not as good as the MLS, obviously. Um, so it's probably just adjusting to the speed um, and the just like the endurance and like trying to hold that for ninety minutes and everything. Um, I think that was probably the biggest adjustment for for me coming coming from the B team. Yeah, well, adjust. You did that. Your contributions and <laughs> your loan season helped New York City FC finish first in the Eastern Conference for the first time in club history. That success translated to your next two seasons with the club as well, as you totaled 4,267 minutes, recording seven goals and four assists. Your 2,444 minutes in 2021 was a career high, but your season was cut short due to a blood clot in the popliteal artery in your lower right leg, costing you to miss New York City FC's playoff run. At what point did you know something was wrong, and what were your initial emotions when you found out you would be sidelined for the entirety of the playoffs? Yeah, I knew uh something was wrong actually pretty early probably like maybe like 15 games before the end of regular season um but it was only we thought it was just calf like fatigue um maybe like a muscle just a muscle problem you know so we worked on it um it it was never something that held me back from playing um I played every game through it um and it was it was Chicago was the first game I think that might have been like five games before the end of the season was the first game where I actually had to ask for a sub because like my calf was like tightening up so much. Um, but then the next game, Miami, I played the whole game again. Um, and it was bothering me quite a bit, but I was like, it's just muscle. Like, I'm just going to keep on. It doesn't matter. Um, and eventually I was just cooking one night and my toes were numb. So I was like, I texted like our trainers. I was like, yo, my toes are numb. Like, <laughs> like I just figured out update you guys. And they're like, you need to go to the hospital and get an exam, like test this out. Um, you might have a blood clot. I was like, geez. All right. So um, I went and I got, I was like, I told my fiance, I was like, I'll be back in a couple hours. Like I got to go to get an exam. So I pulled up, I did the CAT scan. They found a blood clot in my knee um, and they instantly checked me into the hospital. And it was like, like the fastest two hours of my life where I was like through this in the ER, through the exam and then them telling me that I was going to have to stick around like through the weekend up until uh, like the next Tuesday to do my surgery, to remove it. Um, 
so I was like, I was kind of in shock. I didn't realize how serious it was. They were like, yo, blood clot. I was like, all right, like get this out of me. Like, let's, let's get moving. And so I was like calling my fiance, like, yeah, can you bring me clothes? Like uh, they have to like, they can't leave. They can't let me leave the hospital with the blood clot. Apparently like they, like I have to stay here and they, they need to monitor me until they get it out. So it was, it was pretty wild. Like it went, it really like hit me like so fast. And like, I was like in shock, I think. Um, but I never really realized how serious it was. Um, like until that next week until I was like going into surgery and then I ended up having a second surgery to do a bypass. And like, as I was learning all that, I was like realizing like, Oh my God, like, like they were telling me I could have died from this. I was like, wow, like this is more, this is way more serious than I could have ever imagined. That's a lot of things into perspective for you, man. That's, that's really scary. Yeah, it was, it's quite scary thinking about it now, but I, I don't think I reacted properly uh, as I was learning these things about my leg. Like, ah, oh, blood clot. Yeah, I'll be back on the pitch tomorrow. It's all good. Yeah, it's really how I felt. Like, I, I was, I kept asking them. I was like, so, like, can I play in a few weeks or something? Like, can I come back for playoffs? Like, I was very, like, confused. Like, I had very little knowledge of, of the, the return time on a blood clot. So, we'll get to that return time in a little bit. But despite you not playing due to injury what was your role in the team during that playoff run were you like the motivational guy the guy that kept things light and fun what role did you assume in the locker room unfortunately I actually couldn't be in the locker room for any of it um the first game at home against Atlanta um I had just gotten back from the hospital like two days before maybe the day before um and I wasn't mobile enough to to go to the stadium and like make all that happen it would have been a a tough night for me um so I didn't go to that game um but I watched I watched on tv I think that was the game where Tati held up my jersey um and I, I ended up learning like later that like they really like got behind me after they found out about my my surgery or like my my injury I guess and, and found out like what I was going through um me as well as Anton who tore his Achilles not too long before that um, I heard that they they like really got behind that and they really like fought and played for us quite a bit, um, which obviously is like something amazing to hear, you know, like um, like these guys are really family, you know, we see each other every day, we play together, um, but it it was just really cool like learning that and and like having the guys do that for me kind of kind of thing. Um, but I was able to I was able to travel and go to every single game. Um, luckily I was, I became mobile quite quickly and I drove to new England, which wasn't too far. And then I got to drive to Philly, which luckily all these games were right here too. That, that made it easier. Um, and then I got cleared to fly like four days before Portland. Um, so I was able to make it to everywhere. Um, I didn't get to join the team in the locker room at all, but I was texting everybody, FaceTiming some, um, and yeah, so like r really the team, like really got behind us and, and, and I played for us through all of it. Um, and I like to think that, that helped, helped a little bit, you know? Absolutely, man. So <laughs> December 11th, 2021, you know what day that was. New York City FC wins the MLS Cup, the first ever trophy for the organization. What was that day like for you personally? It was amazing. Um, we traveled, so the team traveled maybe five days before. Um, I traveled with the families the day before. Um, and so I was there with my fiance. We were just enjoying ourselves um, that morning, had breakfast and everything. Um, and I sat with the families during the game 
um, we pull up to the stadium, we walk in, and there's a giant section of NYCFC supporters, like all in blue. And I was just like completely taken aback, like, oh my God, like all these people traveled across the country for this game. Um, and they were loud, man. They were louder than the Portland fans, I would say. So it was, it was pretty awesome. Um, and then, of course, we were standing the whole time just watching this game. Um, and I thought our team played amazing. I, I never felt any doubt, like at any moment during that game, just because everybody was just balling. Everybody was feeling themselves. Like, I don't think a single player, like, had a bad game on our team that game, honestly. So it was, I was very confident throughout it. Um, and I got to go onto the field um, during the penalty shootout. I was lucky enough to do that. Um, and then obviously when Kyan scored the winner, um, I'm running around on the field, like against all my trainers and my doctor's orders, just running around celebrating and screaming. And it was just, it was the best day ever. Oh man, it's, this is kind of irrelevant, but I can relate. I tore my ACL my senior year of college and we yeah. made our first NCAA championship when I was playing and one of my buddies got fouled on the end line and I was on crutches and I literally threw my crutches down and I sprinted <laughs> to the corner flag. Like, what are you is, doing? Yeah. No. <laughs> it's all adrenaline at that point. It's awesome. Absolutely. It felt nothing, <laughs> but that's really cool. Congratulations on that because, you know, unfortunately you. you weren't there for the playoff run, but you were an integral part of that team throughout the season to make that playoff push and to, you know, get you guys to the point where you're at to make it. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Of course. Now I got to, I got to throw a little bit of shade, man. What are your thoughts <laughs> on the banner? Uh, it was pretty small. I'm not going to lie. Um, but they did put a giant one up actually in the outfield now, um, oh, a large wall under our uh, third rail, like our fan uh, section. So there is a giant one in the stadium now. Um, so I'm glad they did that for us. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. I haven't seen that yet, but that's good. All right. So back to the surgery. So just in the recovery, of course, just 87 days between the 2021 MLS cup and the start of the 2022 season, the shortest MLS offseason ever. What was your rehab process like? And what was your mentality like during that process? What drove Keaton parks to come back better than ever? Um, I think it was the playoff run. Um, I mean, that's absolutely something that I wish I was a part of. Um, and something that I've always like dreamed of is winning a championship, winning a trophy. Um, and I mean, I was a part of it. I got to be there and everything. So I was lucky enough for that, but um, I absolutely want to repeat that. I want to want to help these guys have another uh, record setting season and, and win another trophy if we, if we can. So um, that's, what's pushing me still um, as I still like partially recover now. Um, but that's definitely what was keeping me going. Uh, through the rehab process and when I got to get back on the field too. Well, you picked up exactly where you left off and you've hit the pitch sprinting the season through just 528 minutes. You are well on your way to having a career year as you've recorded two goals and two assists, your highest passing percentage of your NYCFC career. And you were the number one six, eight in the league in the goals added metric. What has attributed to your uptick in offensive production and describe your style of play in relation to how you fit into New York City FC's game plan. Yeah, I, I can't really attribute anything to like my my production. I would say um, I've always been an attacking minded player. Um, we do play we we normally play a, a two sixes side by side, um, but we also switch into like a six with two eights in front of them. So w over the last few games, like we've been we've been switching to that a little bit and it's giving me more freedom to go forward and find those spaces uh, ahead of the ball rather than 
um, being the one that's that's always building out of the back. Um, so just just tactically, um, I've had more opportunity to go forward. I feel like. Um, and then other than that, like I do practice shooting, um, finishing quite a bit in training. Um, and that was like throughout last year as well, but that's always something that I, I struggled with. Um, and like big time moments in games, I, I get like a little nervous or rush it or something. Um, and I think I've, or I, I've been working on that a lot to, to fix that and to be able to, to calmly finish the ball in a game and stuff like that. So, um, I think all of that can be attributed to, to my success, but at the same time, it's, it's always been a natural thing for me to go forward. Um, I think the ball is like, it's just falling in the right place at this at a right now for me. So it's, it's working out, but also getting back from this injury too. I think I'm just happy to be back and um, playing with zero worries. Um, and like, like I never know when, if I ever get hit with another injury, let's, let's hope I don't, but um, you know, like I'm just happy to be back on the field and playing soccer at this point. So um it, it motivates me to just fly and work my ass off all the time. I'm sorry if I can't use that word. <laughs> you can use whatever you want on MLS Go Wild, man. But you, you talk about practicing your shooting, and we're going to get into your goal over the weekend against San Jose, which was an absolute banger. And one thing I like to do with all my guests is have them break down some film from a recent match. So, of course, I'm going to ask you to break down your 74th-minute <laughs> game winner over the weekend for San Jose. Through your eyes, how did that play unfold? Yeah, so I've watched it a million times back on, on Twitter and stuff now. Um, I didn't realize that the long ball I played to Tati was part of that play as well. Um, but anyways, the ball came back to Santi, I think, and I was just making myself an option to switch the ball, actually. And as he played it to me, I checked my shoulder, and there's a player like coming on coming onto my back. I think it was Kate Cowell, maybe. And so I just took, took a touch back towards Santi, um, and then took a couple of touches forward and I see Talish, um, like find a good pocket right there and, and on top of the box. Um, and I didn't necessarily think it was going to be a one, two, but I just got the ball to him to like, let give him options to turn and, and find somebody. Um, but as I played it to him and made the run through, nobody followed me at all. And so I, I was screaming at Talish. I was like, right here, right here. Like, and I thought he was not going to pass it. Um, so I was about to, I was ready to yell at him if he didn't give me that ball. Um, but he, he actually like, I think it might've been a no looker cause I, I didn't expect it, but then he hit it to me. I was like, Oh my God. So then usually like in a play like that too, like at a full sprint, it's hard to get the right touch. Um, and I feel like I usually like have a long touch and end up reaching for a shot. Um, so it actually worked out. I dropped the ball right, right under my feet and, um, I kind of peeked up and I thought JT was, uh, was kind of cheating toward the back post. So I just blasted it front post hoping that it would get by him whether he was cheating or not um but it might have been the best strike of my life like I hit the ball so smoothly and and right down the middle so um right as I hit it I knew it was going to be a goal so I just started I was going toward the corner before I hit the net it was a pure strike and yeah it it felt good (laughs) so I used to do this segment on the show called all the small things and you said something that I definitely would have highlighted when I when I watched that goal you know, when you received that ball from Santa, you said you checked your shoulder. Okay. That's one of all the small things. That's, you know, just yeah. a, a small part of the game that oftentimes goes unnoticed. You see the pressure, you take a touch away from pressure into the space. And then I just loved how patient you were with watching uh, Talish Magno uh, try to find that pocket and work his way across the box. Cause he's the one that initially played Santi and he yeah. was all the way on the touchline out left. 
Like, You're right. I was going to get to this later, but like, what is, what is that chemistry like with Talish Magno? Because it looked like it was fully there in that play. Yeah, it, it's been like that with with all of our attackers uh, over these last few games, especially. Um, we've just been creating chance chance after chance, and obviously finishing quite a bit of them. Um, but really, they have a lot of freedom to just find the open spaces, whether that's on the touchline or or in the pockets behind the the midfield line or anything like that. Um, so it's it gives us a lot of options too, as long as they're moving and, and trying to find the space for them. Like it gives us three or four different options going forward. So. Um, so like, like luckily for me, like I can be very patient because I know somebody's going to find a space. Um, so it's easy, like, and, and as a player, like I like to draw players in before I play a ball. Cause then I can just get around them and, and hopefully join, join in again. So I was just waiting for somebody to kind of like pressure me and, um, Talis found that space and it was just, it was like e- easy decision for me. I feel like. <laughs> I'm starting to hear you, you know, you tell me a little bit more about your style of play. Is there any player in the world that you kind of look up to and you're like, I kind of want to play their style? Not really, honestly. Um, growing up, I didn't I didn't watch a lot of soccer. Um, I, I would rather be outside of playing it or playing another sport. Um, so I never really, like, became a fan of watching soccer, I would say. Um, I do enjoy it quite a bit more now um, because I can learn a lot and it means so much more to me, like, and some of the guys that I watch, like I've played against or played with. So like all that's really cool. Um, so that like give, it makes it more fun for me. But before, like I never really grew up like, oh, I want to like style my game after this guy or, or play like this guy. Like I just learned to play football from from my family, from my coaches and uh, just kind of like learn in that sense. Love that. So both of the goals you scored back-to-back weeks have come out of runs out of the midfield. Is that something that's just, you know, you talked about wanting to be more attacking-minded and that's just kind of who you are. Did that come from your style of play or did Ronnie Dyla say, Keaton, get in the box, bro? <laughs> both. Uh, there was a span of games that we we didn't win um, just before, like, these last victories. Um, and we talked a lot about getting numbers into the box, getting more crosses into the box. Um because obviously if you're putting the ball right in front of the goal, like there's much bigger chances that we're going to score, you know? So he, he did get onto us quite a bit. Um, and he also just taught it, like told us over and over then get in the box. So like it gave us more confidence going forward and, and maybe leaving our position to, to try to go uh, take a risk and score a goal. So um, he was getting onto us about that. And ever since then, I've just said, all right, let's do it. Uh, like I'll just sprint back. And if I, if I get a little tired, then maybe next, next time around, I won't enter the box, but. Um, I, I like to take that risk and I, uh, he, him and the, co- the rest of the coaching staff has given us a lot more confidence doing that too. You can definitely tell, I mean, 14 goals in the past three games. That's absurd. Things are clicking on an unreal <laughs> level right now. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's been wild. Yeah. Like, and looking at the chances we've created too, like, I feel like we've missed very, very big chances, like one V ones and stuff like that too. Like, I feel like we could have had 20 goals in these last three games. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people on Twitter are like, what's going on with Tati? Like, I mean, he scored those four goals in one game, but he's missing some sitter, some sitters right now. That's what I'm saying. It's It's been very weird. Like, we've been playing unbelievable in the front um, and creating the chances. So, I mean, as, as long as we're doing that, we're going to score three goals a game. And, and you can't ask for more than that, but it really could be six. It really does feel like that right now. So a lot of your guys' success has to do with your progressive passing and your distribution in general. 
2021, you finished in the 93rd percentile for progressive passes per 90 minutes. How does your understanding of space, vision, and chemistry with teammates allow you to consistently progress the ball forward for New York City FC? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that gives me confidence is, is how strong our defenders are and how, how smart they are. So, like, knowing that if I do make a mistake, um, that I have these four great players, four or five great players behind me, gives me a lot of confidence to, to take risk and um, to try to thread the needle and make a through ball or a break line, stuff like that. So um, that, that is a big thing. Um, and then obviously the, the chemistry that we all have and finding those pockets and finding those spaces and um, knowing where people are going to be before you even look up um, is, plays a big role too. Um, I think we have a ton of chemistry. We have a very strong bond throughout this team um, that really helps us and um, like just like gives me all the confidence in the world that, I, that I'll have three options when I get on the ball or, um, or if I have to dribble or, or am, am in a tight space that I have these five guys behind me that are, that are going to win the ball if, if I do lose it. So um, all of that plays a big, big part of that for sure. So the reason I bring up understanding of space, there was just an article that was actually written about you. I believe it's on CBS Sports, and it's highlighting kind of your usage of space. And just going back to last weekend's game against San Jose, just looking at your goal in general, when Santi passed you the ball, you had opportunities to check to the ball, find a different hole, but you literally just waited for the ball to come to you. And sometimes that's all it needs, right? Yeah, that's um, something I've been working on quite a bit too, uh, especially with Nick Cushing, um, one of our assistant coaches. Um, he's always talking about be patient, stay in the space, stay in the pocket, like let the ball find you rather than running around all over the field trying to find the ball, you know. Um, so that actually has been something that um, I've been working on a lot. Um, growing up, I always just wanted to be on the ball, so I'll just run all over the field trying to get it. Um, but it doesn't work like that <laughs> at the highest level. So I do just like sometimes I'll just like stand around or move like very slightly and just let the space open itself up and then um, – and then find the, find the ball and, and turn and, and attack. Nice. So we've talked a lot about your offensive skill set, but what parts of your defensive game have you improved upon from last season? Uh, just reading situations. Um, I think I've improved on a lot. Um, and I think I have plenty more to improve on as well, but that was never something um, I was great at growing up. Um, I did play more of like an eight ten at when I was younger. Um, so that is something I've always I've been working on throughout my professional career is to, to play stronger defense. Um, but I think I also take a little bit more risk defensively um, and trying to jump passes and, and, and read players before they make passes, stuff like that. So I think I'm really learning and, and adapting to, to a defensive style of midfield as well. Um, and that's really improved like my game as well as I think it helps the team a lot. Um, and our security in the back and um, trying to, to stop teams from breaking lines and forcing it out wide and stuff. Yeah, you've become a complete eight, complete box-to-box eight. And you know what? There's, there's kind of a need for a complete box-to-box eight, maybe for a depth piece for the U.S. men's national team. Huge year for the U.S. men's national team, right? I'm sure you've seen the talk on Twitter and your name being tossed around. And your success this season obviously warrants some chatter. Not only is it a World Cup year, but there are also a few other opportunities, including Nations League and some international friendlies. Is a national team call-up something you have on your mind for 2022? Uh, definitely. Um, I mean, it's not something that I need or, or necessarily work for, um, but the work that I put in for, for NYCFC and, 
and for each game that we we have here i i do hope that it um turns into a, a national team call up because that is something i've i've always wanted um i was lucky to go once but um i do believe my game has improved quite a bit since then and um i think i would be a good addition so definitely something i want um but not something i need uh but at so, at some point i i do hope that my my work here turns into some turns into that so we'll see you might not need the U.S. men's national team, but the U.S. <laughs> men's national team needs you, Keaton. <laughs> All right, uh, goals and aspirations for the rest of the season. Uh, another MLS Cup for sure. Um, I would like to make a good run in the U.S. Open Cup and, and potentially win that. Um, I know we were very set on trying to win this Champions League, um, and it just didn't fall our way. Uh, we had a tough performance in our first leg against Seattle. Um, but yeah, I just want to win more trophies, uh, stay healthy, um, help the team in any way I can. If that's scoring goals, assisting goals, or playing more defense, better defense, that's fine with me. I just I want I want us to be successful again because that's a feeling like no other for sure. Keaton, before we get you off here, do you have any final thoughts for New York City FC fans? Ooh, I didn't think that wasn't on the packet of questions. Um, <laughs> I, I got to say there's another trophy's coming your way. I don't know what trophy it's going to be, but um, maybe we'll, we'll go back to back this year, but definitely a trophy coming, coming the season. All right, Keaton. Well, man, you got a fan in me. You're a hell of a player, hell of a young man. You have one of the most incredible journeys in all of MLS from Plano, Texas to Portugal, back to New York city FC injured and now back better than ever. I'm loving the story, man. The narratives are what I'm here for. I appreciate it, man. Thank you very much. Of course, Keaton. Listeners, thanks for tuning into MLS Gone Wild Season 4, Episode 13, featuring New York City FC midfielder Keaton Parks. Keaton and New York City FC go again this Saturday at 7 p.m. on ESPN+. Be sure to tune into that one to see if Keaton can extend his goal-scoring streak to three matches. Anyways, guys, if you like this episode, please remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listened. Head over to Twitter after and let me know your thoughts on the episode as well. It's appreciated. Until next time, enjoy all of this weekend's action. See you guys next week.